This podcast proudly brought to you by Moss Shot Shells. Old school is back in season. Experience superior shells when you go with Boss Shot Shells. Their premium, non-toxic bismuth shells knock birds down so hard that the old guys might just think they're shooting lead again. Make sure you check out Boss Shot Shells for your next purchase of shotgun shells. Hey guys, I'm Jordan Fromer. I believe in hunting hard, hunting smart, and having a fun time while doing it. And shooting limits? Well, that's just the icing on the cake. I revel in the journey just as much as the successes it brings. From ducks to dogs to decoys and guns, we'll be talking tactics, strategies, and what it takes to get the job done. Load up and take aim. This is the Duck Gun Podcast. What's going on, folks? Thanks for joining me on another episode of the Duck Gun Podcast. Today's episode, we're joined by Bob Owens. Got some great dog hunting experience to share with us. It's going to be a great podcast. Um, Topic specifically going to be zero to first hunt. So we're going to do our best to get all that information out um, and really pick his brain. And Elliot's got a dog as well coming this summer, so I'm sure he'll have lots of questions. So without further ado, quick word from our partners, and we'll jump right into the content. Hi, this is Killian Bailey from Bailey's Game Calls. I'm here to tell you about our duck, goose, and wood duck calls. We use 3D printing technology to revolutionize the industry. This new technology allows us to create calls with the same sound as wood, acrylic, or anything in between that's at a fraction of the price. Make sure to check out baileysgamecalls.com for your next game call. Next, we'd like to give a big thanks to our partners at White Rock Decoys. Be a nomad and get out further with their system of windsocks and silhouettes. Use discount code DUCKGUNPOD at checkout for 10% off your next order at whiterockdecoys.com. We'd also like to give a big thanks to our partners over at ShotCam. Now, I've been using ShotCam for the last year, and I can tell you right now, it's a great tool for improving your shooting, whether you're doing clays or live birds or just want to see some cool footage of your shots after the fact make sure to check out shotcam.com and use discount code duckgun at checkout for 40 dollars off all right what's going on folks we're here for another episode of the duck gun podcast got elliot with me um how you doing tonight elliot oh everything's going pretty good i'm Certainly excited for this podcast with my new puppy coming up in July. So I'm, I'm looking forward to this one for sure. Yeah, I knew you would be. So the podcast we got for tonight is we got um, Lone Duck coming on. Um, and he is expert dog trainer. So we're going to pick his brain and all kinds of stuff. But the big portion of the topic will be um, going from puppy all the way to your first hunt. Yeah, I, I certainly need it. I've got to get myself to the next level before early July, before the puppy comes. So um, I'm going to be taking notes on this one for sure. Yeah, yeah. But I'm sure, uh, you know, there's probably stuff along the way that I didn't do with Chief because I was uh, <laughs> just pretty much winging it. So um, after doing that, I've kind of realized the importance of, you know, following a plan and, uh, you know, getting everything really i guess zoned in really well so hopefully i can uh, glean some information off this as well to apply to chief even though he's at the three-year-old stage 
Yeah. Well, I'm going to be using um, Freddie King's has a website. that's like five bucks a month or 60 bucks a year or something. They've got a, a just a plan step-by-step -step, um, information. And then they've got a Facebook group that goes along with it. So I think that's the route I'm going to go. Um, so I, I've, I'm, I'm ready, man. I'm, I am ready to roll. Awesome. So uh, you've been up to anything crazy this week? Oh, no, man, no. I canceled another turkey trip. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, I didn't cancel it. I, I actually got a um, text from Dan, and he wanted to go out turkey hunting um, Saturday. And I'm just like, you know, I haven't been out. I don't know where there any birds are. And I was just, I've just been thinking, oh, my gosh, I'm not going to have anything decent. It's just going to be totally you know maybe i can get out friday and look around and and then he called and there was a um, a death to someone close to their family so he canceled on saturday so now it's like okay am i gonna go i've got friday off i've got friday morning off so i can just go out and just you know i've got i know some places that traditionally have turkeys i just haven't done any scouting and you know we've talked about my motivation levels for it so i don't know i don't know if it's gonna happen or not yeah yeah. When is that your season be... starting? It seems like it's late. Um, yeah, it is a little bit late. We still we got a week from today. Um, but by the time this podcast airs, I'm sure uh we'll be into the turkey. So hopefully, hopefully we can get into them quick. Um but my wife actually took a picture of one, it's like a mile away from our house. So <laughs> yeah, I'll have some uh, I'll have some scouting to do. I mean, I've seen them across the road from me. Um and yeah, it's just about getting permission, that kind of stuff. So we'll see. I still got a week. Um, but yeah, I definitely got plans to go after him. Um, well, I should go out. I've got Friday morning and then Saturday and I should go out Friday morning, try to get some located and then go back out Saturday. Uh, but you know, I don't know if I want, I just don't know if I want to get up early two days from like that, honestly. <laughs> yeah. So, just not the same as duck season. <laughs> oh, it's not even in the, gosh, it's not even the ballpark. I, I just barely have enough motivation even to do it. <laughs> I, <laughs> I mean, mean, it's better but, than like, uh, you know, hiking or. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But I mean, hiking, you know, you don't have to get up early and. and uh, yeah. Which is, I don't know. It's just so strange with me because I love getting up early. I love everything about duck hunting. I love getting up early. I, I just relish every moment, but turkey hunt it's like everything is just a grind it's it's not i wouldn't even call it getting up early with you it's something different like getting up early is like five six in the morning <laughs> yeah yeah it's uh getting up at like two or whatever it's like not yeah. sleeping <laughs> yeah basically but i love every second of that i never have problems getting up to do that but um, that's amazing <laughs> no it's really it's it's really odd did you did you see high prairie sportsman's um turkey hunting video yesterday i haven't watched it yet no oh man you got it he got the best footage oh my gosh nice and that's I'll another thing. I check his, it out i saw his video and i'm like oh, i can never even come close to matching that i'm done <laughs> <laughs> i went to go watch it but it was a premiere so i'll have to go check back later it's good man he that that's one of the better turkey hunting videos i've seen nice it's really good yeah, a turkey hunt videos are fun to make, so we'll see. Last year, I, I had fun filming mine, but yeah, we'll we'll just see how it goes. It just all depends. Like, you could always get into them right away, and you know, who knows? 
Yeah. So on a little on a little different note, I had a company um, contact me on Facebook, and they have this camera they want to send me to use in my hunt videos. But it's like it's like a security camera. <laughs> they not understand. I know, but the thing is, if this, but you know, you remember last year I was talking about like filming my entire hunts. Um, yeah. Well, this thing it plug it jacks into not Wi-Fi, but um, a telephone, like a company, like a, a phone company. And yeah. so, if I could find a way to attach it to a tree with this camera, I could theoretically um, provide links, and people could watch it live. <laughs> And the camera's not a bad camera. It's not, I mean, it's, it's not, I don't, I mean, it's about a $280 um, unit. It's not bad um, from what I've looked, looked at it and everything, but I was like, that might be kind of cool if I could, if I could even just like mount it to a tree and just point it to the blind and just let it roll. And yeah, that might be kind of cool. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. It'd be, it'd be different. Definitely Maybe. interesting. Could be something to, to give to patrons. Uh, on patreon I, I don't know i don't know i'm, I'm a kind of intrigued i asked him a question you know i was like well do you have any way to do more portable mount i don't even know why they would contact me every single thing you look up it's like people are attaching them to their garage or if you have like um like a fixed hunting blind or something you know where you're baiting in deer or something you could easily screw this thing to a tree because it's weatherproof mm. um, it actually has a solar solar battery to power it as well it's it's a pretty slick little deal. I hate to turn it down. But I, I, I they said I don't they said we don't want a review video. All we want is um you know take it hunting and put just put a, a link in the description. That's it. That's all they are asking. Huh. So I don't know. I don't know. Kind of interesting. All right. Well, you know, I think this is probably a good time to bring Bob in here and get going on the dog training stuff. So We'll get them right in here. What's going on, folks? I'm Jordan from Duck Gun Chronicles. Got my co-host alongside me, Elliot, from Freelance, Freelance Duck Hunting. And our guest tonight is Bob from Lone Duck. How you doing tonight, Bob? Man, thank you, gentlemen, for having me. I'm excited to be back on the on the show. Yeah, we're uh, definitely excited to have you back on again. And just for the, those of you guys who didn't catch the last episode, we had uh, Bob on previously. And we talked all about duck dogs and that kind of stuff. So it's uh, back a little while. So you can find it in the library and uh, take a look at that one as well. And like I said, I wasn't here for that one when I listened to it on the playback. I think that was one of my favorite podcasts, maybe because I wasn't there, number one. But, man, <laughs> it, it was interesting. It was great content. I'm glad you guys enjoyed it. I really enjoyed our conversation. You had awesome questions that are super relevant to everybody with their first gun dog and, and beyond. I mean, you know, we all get in the groove and maybe it's your third or fourth gun dog, but you kind of forget those little tidbits of advice that you've learned along the way um, on puppyhood or housebreaking or what if my dog does this? And, uh, you guys had awesome questions, so I think it was, you know, a lot of really nice content for your listeners. So I'm hoping today's podcast, we can let it rip and please everybody again. Awesome. And so uh, the podcast topic that we chose for tonight is um, taking your puppy all the way from when it's born 
up to when you can get it on its first hunt. And we're just going to kind of take that in groups or little stages. Um, kind of doing that in honor of Elliot's uh, pursuit of a duck dog this summer, working on that and training uh, Izzy's protege. So uh, yeah, before I- we jump into that, um, go ahead, Bob, and let people know. For the people who weren't here on the last podcast, let people know um, who you are and what you got going on. Just a little bit of inf- background information. Yeah, I'll go quick because last time I probably rambled on it. <laughs> um, Bob Owens, I'm the president of Lone Duck Outfitters and Lone Duck Kennels. Lone Duck Outfitters is a website that provides e-collars, wingers, uh, leather products, clothing line, videos, uh, blog articles on how to train your dog. And it's a real community around what I call the unspoken bond. And I kind of coined that, I don't know, seven, eight years ago when I started. Um, And then throughout my time with building that company, I took the plunge and quit my sales job and, and mentored underneath and worked for a professional trainer and honed my skills, improved my knowledge base and now i own my own business uh full-time professional retriever trainer we run hunt tests uh we train gun dogs we do obedience so we run the gamut from raising puppies for people all the way to duck season so that's perfect for this um up to master hunters in the akc hunt test game so pretty cool awesome you have something to add there elliot um, I was just going to say that, um, and I don't know how well he, he, since I wasn't on last time, I didn't get to share, but um, yeah, I'm in the process of my dog now turns 12 this August and she is winding down. So I've got a puppy coming in July. This is going to be my third hunting dog. The first one, I didn't basically try to train at all. The second one I tried and did okay, but this third one I really need, I'm planning on you know, hope of hopefully stepping up my personal training game to, to have a lot better behaved dog at home and in, in the field. Um, so this is perfect content for me for sure. Cool. Yeah. One of the things I'm not sure if you guys follow along, but I just had a litter in January. And so these puppies are 12 weeks old right now. So a lot of what we're talking about tonight is what's going to be happening for them today you know what happened today with them and until september october so if people want to follow along for video content our instagram is at lone duck and we have our own podcast too which is lone ducks gun dog chronicles so for for you elliot you know we're going to be uh documenting and following along with these young puppies as they develop into that gun dog so it'll be really good content for you to kind of get in the groove with the new pup and and do it before the pup gets here which is clutch yeah perfect perfect yeah i need to i need to really start now for sure yes yeah but i mean you know some people didn't and so i think this podcast will help you know whether their dog's six months old two years old or uh coming in july they'll learn something awesome so let's go ahead and just kind of jump right into that main topic um so stage one um, you know, we can even go from your perspective where you have them from birth. Um, so I guess just kind of jump into you to what you got going on with puff- puppies at that stage. Yep. So the first thing I do when I'm looking to buy a puppy is pick the pedigree, pick the parents 
do your homework, see what's out there in the market. If you're lucky enough, try and see the parents and watch them run and interact with them. So some suggestions would be join a local retriever club. Um, they're all over. They're in every single state. You can find one if you try hard enough. Um, number two, Google professional retriever trainers in your state or within a three-hour ride of you and go and see them, meet them. They're going to have litters throughout the year, possibly. And you'll be able to see the parents train, uh, get to know their, their personality, their work ethic, things like that. So what I look for when I'm buying a puppy is parents and grandparents, what did they do? And verse going through the newspaper or Craigslist and AKC papered Labrador retriever, right? That's what we see. Oh, he's got papers. That's great. But do you know how many Labrador retrievers would rather sleep on the couch than go swim in cold water? Unfortunately, being the number one breed, and this, by the way, to interrupt myself, this goes across the board for any breed you're looking into. Chessies, curly-coated retrievers, flat-coated retrievers, golden retrievers, Springer Spaniels, German Shorthairs, anything, whatever breed you're interested in, do your research and look at the parents and grandparents. Are they a dog you'd want to own? Um, so with the Labrador, the genes have been somewhat diluted because it's the most popular breed in America for like 30 years straight. So you can go and get an AKC registered Labrador, but did those people do health tests? I look for hips, elbows, eyes, and then two diseases that are super important. The first one is called EIC, exercise induced collapse. And basically the dog is running, working out, exercising, their body temperature increases and boom, they go down. They basically have a seizure and it can kill them. So not to dive into it too deep, but if you don't do your genetic testing and you breed two, two parents who carry that gene, you, they might not exhibit the disease, but they carry the gene. And if you breed them together, you're going to have puppies with that gene. So you know, I, I had someone call me the other day, hey, I, I want to breed my female. What do you have? And I asked them if they've done this. And they're like, oh, she's healthy. She's been to the vet. She's clear. She's healthy. Okay, just because she can walk around and eat her food and drink water doesn't mean she doesn't have something inside of her that if is bred to the wrong dog can produce unhealthy puppies. Um, the other one is called CNM, Centronuclear Myopathy. And that is kind of like muscular dystrophy for dogs where their muscles don't develop properly and they walk um, as if they're almost paralyzed. And again, that's another disease that's hidden. So if you breed two dogs that don't show signs of it, but carry that gene, you're going to have puppies that are basically disabled. Um, so it's really important to look for the health clearances, hips, elbows, eyes, EIC, CNM. The next thing I look for is, did they do anything in the hunt test game? Do they have the intelligence, the drive, the teamwork um, to kind of achieve something? They don't need to be the best of the best out there, but if you kind of strive to get the most you can afford out of a pedigree, then you're higher, you have a higher likelihood of having a dog that's going to enjoy their job love the water, love ducks, confident, 
well socialized puppies, all that jazz. So that's number one. Before I touch a puppy, that's the first thing I'm looking for. Um, number two is I'm looking for a breeder who is doing early socialization with that puppy from zero to eight weeks before I get them home. Um, there's, uh, it's called early neurological stimulation. And basically some veterinarian, you know, I don't know, maybe let's just say back in the eighties, I don't know when he developed it, but he researched basically screwing with a puppy, you know, tickling them, changing their temperature up and down gently and making that puppy, uh, understand stress before their eyes and ears and are even open. So these are like little nuggets, little piglets that can't do anything. And he's tickling the pads of their feet and taking them away from the mother and rolling them around and holding them upside down for like three seconds and then putting them back with the mother. And what they found were, was these puppies over the course of their life had higher intelligence rates, higher health, this, that, and the, like it, it was over 20 or 30 years of research of doing this and not doing this. The puppies who had it done to them excelled further. So that's something I look for. And that's something we did with our puppies. Um, and then socialization, if the weather's nice, can the breeder get them in the water? Does the breeder have access to live pigeons and dead birds and wings and, you know, are they getting outside in a healthy environment where the, you know, they're not in mucky, nasty water or mud and all that jazz, but they're in a healthy environment outside experiencing the world. They're just not stuck in a whelping pen. Um, that zero to eight weeks is, is an extremely, think about in the wild, they have to learn how to survive. If from zero to eight weeks, they're trying not to die and their mother's trying to keep them from dying. So they're like a sponge. What can I eat? What can I drink? How far can I stray away from mom? Pack mentality and staying within the pack mentality, you know, leader, follower, et cetera. Um, and then at eight weeks is when my, my puppies go home. So now let's take it from my little eight-week-old puppy who's now 12 weeks old. Um, the biggest thing I can say is socialization, people, places, and things take them everywhere you go. You know, the other night we went out to a bar that can have, it's like outdoor seating. And so the puppies came with us. I'm raising another puppy for a client and my dog. So the two boys at 12 weeks old are out by a bonfire outside of a bar with people walking up and petting them and some music going on in the background and a lot of moving and shaking going on. And they were nervous for about 10 seconds and then boom, back to normal and life is good. So what a great learning experience that people, kids, you know, different surfaces like gravel road and the, the warm fireplace and all that jazz. I mean, that's just what a good experience for those little, little dudes. Um, so people, places, and things, as many people, little kids, um, take them on hikes. You know, they, they don't have a lot of energy. They get tired quickly. So, you know, 10 or 15 minute walk through a field, you know, taller grasses that they've got to push through and drive through 
Um, if the water is warm enough, I'm told and clean, you know, not like a mucky sludgy swamp, but clean water, get them, you know, walk in yourself. So you're maybe up to your knees and the puppy's going to want to be with you. So they're going to wade in and all of a sudden they're swimming. It should not be stressful on the puppy at all. This is a zero stress environment. They're getting treats. Um, so if they don't wait in after you, then you don't worry about it. Exactly. Let them so, do what they do. Hundred percent. The worst thing you can do is pick them up and carry them in and set them down in the water, because the first thing they're gonna do is haul ass back to shore. So now what you taught them is get back to shore as quick as possible. Get back to shore. Versus, hmm, I'm gonna come out and follow you. And some puppies take to it naturally and and quickly like instantly and then other puppies it might take five sessions of you being out there with a bumper and and teasing him until they go in and i also don't like to stay in the water myself for long and have them like dance on the shoreline and realize that it's okay to not come in so like if i try for five minutes and they they really lose interest they don't want to do it i just bail on it and we do something else and then the next day try again um, but that's how I introduce puppies to water. I don't ever, ever force them. And then I've heard horror stories of, you know, fell off a boat and, you know, they were only three months old and they took them out on a boat, which I think is great socialization, but be responsible. If the puppy falls in and now it freaks out and is scared. You're going to have a hell of a time getting it to to jump off a boat and to swim and to be confident because its first experience was scared to death uh, or falling off a dock or taking it to the ocean and there's rolling waves that are loud and scary or maybe a stream or a river that's flowing. Your best bet is a nice shallow entry pond that you can wade into. There's no waves. They just can cruise on in and follow you. And that's okay between eight weeks and 12 weeks. Yeah. I mean, my puppies have, are 12 weeks and they've been in the water a few times each week uh, for the last two weeks. So since about 10 weeks, I, it warmed up enough down here that I, I took them in. I'm, I'm kind of curious about the socialization because I hear a lot of um, trainers talking about that. If a dog is not kind of give us an idea as an adult dog, what would the negative effect of not being socialized properly mm. as a puppy how would that play out as an adult dog sure um lack of confidence a little bit spooky um timid around new situations or people um getting in and out of a boat you know might scare them um even if they've done it a bunch it's still something that could be fear like induce fear so it's um, new encounters essentially you're teaching them that hey there's a lot of new encounters a lot of new things this isn't something you need to be fearful about basically sure. okay yeah you're just all you're doing is building confidence mm -hmm. um everything in this young dog's life has to be pretty positive um you know, the other kicker is crate training and housebreaking. So in those first few weeks that you get your puppy home, you're worried about socialization, the people, places, and things. The word no, 
you know, so don't chew on my carpet, don't chew on my couch, don't chew on my table legs, uh, don't chew on my hand, don't jump on me, and go potty outside. Those are the major ones, right? Like, don't worry about anything crazy, just those are big ones for the first two or three weeks. Um, in those two or three weeks, you can do little retrieves. So my big thing is for a young dog, and this is, there's no age on this, but I don't steady the dog up. So I get a lot of people on Instagram who send me a little video and they're super proud of their 12 week old puppy who will sit until they say their name on a retrieve. And that's a, that's not good. So if you steady your puppy up too soon, you're taking away that drive. You want to build drive, build confidence. So when it's freezing cold out, they're not, they're not lacking that ounce of grit that you should have been building at this stage. So all fun bumpers, two to three retrieves a day, always leave them wanting more. So for instance, I'll also get messages on Instagram where it's like, what do I do? My dog, you know, gets bored quickly with retrieving and will go lay down in the shade and, and not bring the bumper back to me. My answer is you should have stopped two retrieves before that. Yeah. So if you do it enough where you bore the puppy, then tomorrow when we do it, it's going to be like, meh, all right. So my analogy for people is like, what's your favorite food? Uh, pizza. Well, if I eat pizza, breakfast, lunch, and dinner for a month straight, I'm going to be pretty tired of pizza. But if I only get pizza, you know, on fun Fridays, well, then I'm looking forward to fun Friday and I'm going to have a pizza party, right? So, you know, those retrieves need to be highly exciting, a lot of drive, a lot of confidence. Um, at a young age, there's zero distractions. So maybe start down a hallway um, where you've got your little puppy bumper or rolled up sock, or I like a paint roller because they're super lightweight, they're super soft. And you can pitch it and down the hallway, puppy goes and grabs it. You are blocking them, you know, in the hallway entrance. So if they come back to you, there's no way to go. They can't dodge you or anything. They're just coming right to you. And you don't take the paint roller away from them. You let them come into your lap, pet them, love them, tell them what a great gun dog they are, and then take it from them. If you scoop it right away from them, well, you just took their prize away. They just worked really hard for that and brought it to you and they're super proud and boom, it's gone. So let them have it for a minute and just enjoy that retrieve and let them enjoy it and then take it from them and get them fired up, you know, tease them with it, tease them with it, tease them with it, tease them with it, toss it. And so they're like just cracked out over this bumper or paint roller. And you're just building an intensity in this little animal that is unlocking and unleashing its natural instinct. Does that make sense? Yep. Cool. Yeah. So uh, what what age are we at at this? Is this at the end of 12 we're, weeks? Yeah, we're still at 12. I got Before we move past the 12 weeks, I've got a couple of questions. I want yeah, to so, yeah. So that's a great question, Jordan. This is still young. I mean, this is 8 to 16 or something. You know what I mean? This is – it depends on – every dog's going to be a little bit different, but this is very puppy stage. This is the first month you got at home. 
Okay. All right, go ahead, Elliot. Okay, kids and puppies. So I've got um, three high school boys and a fifth grade girl. Of course, they're going to want their hands all over the puppies. Um, how strict do I need to be on rules that I set in place for their interactions with the puppy? Sure. Hmm. It's a great question. On one hand, I think it's phenomenal for them, A, to all be a part of it. I mean, this is just as exciting for them as it is you. But the puppy also has a job to do. And you're going to have this puppy for 13, 14 years, and probably 10 or 11 of them are going to be hunting. So you want to do it right, and I get that. But I think allowing the family to participate is great and good for the socialization. The other thing, the, the one thing I would maybe say is you are still number one. So the puppy needs to spend more time with you. You know, I would, for a little while, I would definitely keep the puppy separated from the older dog. Mm -hmm. So one thing that I actually am, you know, reflecting on with my little 12-week-old puppies is I'm freaking busy, man. I've got 20 dogs to take care of, two puppies, a dog that comes home every night, and these puppies need to be aired and go potty all the time. So instead of doing one and risking that the other one has an accident in the crate, I let them both out at the same time. Well, now those two are best little buddies and they like playing with my female, you know, the four-year-old, and they could kind of care less about me. Now, they do like me. I'm the guy who throws bumpers and I'm the guy who feeds them and all that. But the two of them pal around and, you know, if they, if one of them comes to me, the other one's following if one of them doesn't come to me, then the other one's going to give me the middle finger. So I would be conscious of alone time bonding with the puppy, doing what you are developing, retriever stuff. So Good obedience, work. hikes, um, just outdoor yard time, you know, kick them loose. Just you and the puppy outside, got a couple of treats in your pocket, practice coming when called, sitting, you know, having fun but it's all revolves around you. Um, a lot of times I get clients that like, Oh, the puppy just loves sleeping with my, you know, fifth grader. I don't do that. I think the puppy needs crate time and downtime. And if the puppy wakes up in the middle of the night and nobody wakes up and it chews something or goes potty, it just learned that in the middle of the night when no one's around and watching, I can do whatever I want. So those are little things that, that I see families, have a harder time doing, but if you're kind of quote unquote strict on you and that puppy have one-on-one -on -one bonding time, I think you'll be fine. And as far as the sleeping in the kennel, um, do you, do you believe that that should be throughout the course of the dog's life or just during the real formative months of the dog? I would say formative years, but not the whole dog's life. Okay. Um, I think it depends on everybody's family and home structure, but generally speaking, you know, these puppies, if, if they can't have downtime, a safe space where they can go and relax and have quiet time, um, and it keeps them out of trouble. So if, if you're not able to watch them and they chew the table leg, well, they just learned that the chewing the table leg is okay. And then you catch them 10 minutes later and tell them no and stop it and 
correct them, then there's gray area. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it's okay. Sometimes it's not. Then they're going to learn that when you're out of the room, it's okay. When you're in the room, I'm not doing it. So that's the same with housebreaking and, and everything. So I'm a huge proponent of once the dog is truly trustworthy, a year old, two years old, my female was two years old. She's got so much energy and, and high strung that, I mean, maybe after an hour, she'd start getting into trouble. Uh, maybe it'd be four hours, but I'd be, I'd really be dancing with the devil if I was gone for four hours and she was out of her crate at a year and a half old. Yeah. So I'm a huge proponent of crate training. I'm a huge proponent of that's their safe spot. And it keeps the puppy when you can't watch it. Like let's say in the morning, you, you got to jump in the shower before work. Puppy goes back in the crate. You come out of the shower, puppy can come back out, go potty outside, come back in. You're good to go while you're having breakfast. Um, all right. You got to make kids lunches, put the puppy back in the crate because you're busy in the kitchen getting, you know, things done. That's kind of how you got to do it or else you might have accidents and chewing and whatnot. And as far as, um, so the first couple nights when you bring the puppy home, it's sleeping in the kennel. They're prone to cry during that time. You just let them cry all night and figure out that no one's going to rescue them. Hmm, this is a good, that's a good question. Um, well, the answer is yes. I let them cry it out. But I'm also not afraid to, like, if it's getting excessive, you know, more than 10 minutes, and I've done my job of having them run around before bed, and they haven't drank anything, they haven't eaten anything in a little while, and I know they went to the bathroom, I know they don't have to go, they're just crying to be let out, I let them cry it out for a little while. Then when it becomes excessive, I'm going to open that crate up, I'm going to grab them by the muzzle, I'm going to gently but tell them quiet. And I'm going to start teaching them at eight weeks old, quiet, close the door. They start barking again, open the door, grab them by the muzzle, quiet. Um, and is that the tone you're using or is it a little more forceful than that? It depends on how long they've kept me up, I would imagine. But it's okay to get a little more forceful <laughs> as you as you Yeah, again, the, the yes, but they're still a baby. It's like correcting a, a eight month old. Yeah. Right. You know, they don't know, but now's the time to start teaching them. Yeah. So I'm not being overly forceful. Like I might do with a, a year old dog who barks like crazy in the kennel, but I'm going to start teaching them what quiet means. Awesome. All right. So now we're up to the 16 week phase you got your dog socialized. You started doing um, some of your training, just kind of odding in stuff and just getting them, um, you know, unlocking the drive and all that kind of good stuff. So at this point, um, are we going into some more of the technical training? So no, uh, I'm not. I, I'm, I guess, wow. I, I, I guess if I can just like keep rambling on this, like there's so many things that you can do in that zero, you know, eight week old to five, six months that isn't just basics. I mean, you can start throwing more than two or three bumpers by four and a half, five months old. You can do more. 
You can do water work. You can start throwing it as far as you can. You can start having, you know, your wife or your, you said you have high school boys, like take them out to a field and have them throw bumpers for you and teach the puppy to, to start increasing the distance on the marks. Um, you, you can start to challenge the dog at, at four, four and a half, five months old. Um, but I'm not starting anything truly formal. I don't you're not worry. You're not steadying them yet. You're just letting them go, right? That's, that's correct. So I might, depending on the dog, if you've got a dog who kind of could care less, I'm going to steady them later in life. You know, it might be eight months old before I steady that dog up. But a dog who's crazy, 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 I might steady them up a little bit sooner. Once I start realizing they understand sit and they can sit for more extended periods and stuff like that, then I might start steadying that little wild child up a little bit sooner because they're not lacking drive. A dog who lacks drive, you want to build it for as long as possible. Um, but still, at four months old, I mean you've had the puppy two months, like they're still getting to know you. They're still, you know, they might know their name, but they don't do much yet. Right. So you, you know, things like, uh, we, we'll catch pigeons, you know, that's a great, you go to a farm. There's, we have Amish people up near us that'll catch them out of their barns and sell them to you for five bucks. Um, you know, wing clip it and let them chase that pigeon. Um, save a couple ducks from duck season and freeze teal, wood ducks, ring necks, you know, hen mallards, then get up to big mall, you know, drake mallards. Um, so you're scaling that ability to grab onto something and carry it. Oh, what else? Gunfire. I always say this and I got a video on YouTube. You can't have, you, you don't have a gun dog if your dog's afraid of guns. It'll never be a gun dog if it's afraid of guns. So this is not something to rush. This is, you don't take them to a gun range. You don't take them skeet shooting. Uh, you don't shoot a blank pistol while they're eating. Um, things like that are kind of old school and a really quick way to make a gun shy dog. So I don't start integrating gunfire work. Now, uh, let me caveat that. These puppies that are with me right now, they're out dog training with me every single day with the big dogs. They're in their kennel. They're in a little wire, you know, those like kitty enclosures that are a circle, you know, that you set up like a fence. Yeah. Uh -huh. I don't know what they're called, but they're in there. They're hanging out in the shade. They're playing with their toys. And I've got 22 blanks in my gunners up wingers that pop off and I'm shooting poppers out of my 12 gauge and they're 40 yards away, but they've, been integrated to it and they've it's different right like they nothing bad's happening they've been doing really well with it i've been careful and i'm not doing it right next to them it's off in the distance but generally speaking most people aren't me doing what i do every day and so some people will just throw them to the wolves at the gun range and the puppy has no idea what this noise is there's no stimulation, drive, distraction. It's just bang, 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 bang. And they're like, what the heck? I'm out. You just made a gun-shy dog or a gun-sensitive dog. Okay? Um, so how I do it, 
is I wait until that puppy has a ton of drive. I've built that drive. So let's say to put a number on it, four and a half to six months old. Some dogs at four and a half are going to be crazy, crazy and love to retrieve and doing great in all the aspects of it. Other dogs, it might take a couple more months, but you've built that drive. Nothing stands in their way. They're hauling butt to the bumper and coming back nicely. <clears throat> I'm going to have a helper. You can take a 22 pistol, a 22 blank gun. You can get them on gun dog supply for 80 bucks. And you put 209 primers in it and you have your helper stand 100 yards away. And you and your dog are 100 yards away. And you're playing fun bumpers. Hey, 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 throw the bumper. When the dog is running to the bumper, it's midair. You're not studying. You're not doing anything crazy. You just, dog's halfway to it, driving hard, pounding, breathing heavy, busting through, you know, the grass and making noise. You raise your hand and bang, 100 yards away, a little pop goes off. The dog doesn't pay it any attention because it's so focused on that retrieve. It picks it up, brings it back to you. The, you know, if the dog does great, you move your, you know, gunner in and now he's at 75 yards, do it again. Dog does great. Bring him into 50, do it again. Keep him at 50, do it again. Bring him into 30, do it again. And the whole time you're doing this, you're, the gunfire is going off while the dog is charging to the bumper. You, you as the trainer are watching the dog's body language, making sure that it has zero it does not care at all about that sound. It's it's confident. It's driving. It's not turning around, stopping, looking what happened. It's not quitting. It's not doing anything weird. If the dog does well, you can move that gunner in and then end after like eight, right? Eight or 10. So maybe after your first session, the gunner's 25 yards away. Second session, same with the 22. But maybe by the end of that session, you're shooting right near the dog as it's running and, and chasing with the 22. After a few sessions, you can bump up to a 12 gauge with like your seven and a half, you know, clay target load and start out at a hundred yards, 75, 50, 50, 50, 50, you know, 75 on the next session, then 50, then 25, then 25, then 25. And just watch if you rush it, you could screw it up. If you don't rush it and you take your time over the course of a week, by the end of that week, you're shooting over your dog's head. They could care less. And what they've actually done is associate the greatest thing in the world, which is retrieving with gunfire. So now gunfire equals the greatest thing in the world. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yep, for sure. Sweet. So clapping, like clapping over their head when their puppy's eating, that's outdated. Don't do that. Uh, it's a little outdated. I think it's okay to do. But you're not trying to scare the puppy in in terms of, you know, hey, he's eating, he's having fun, clap, 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 clap. Well, what happens if it spooks him? Now what are you going to do? Yeah. Right? So I would, like, slowly increase the – like, when I was raising these this litter, I would do things like that, but I would start super soft. I would just tap things and, like, gently bang the door, and then I'd increase it a little bit, and then I'd stop. I wouldn't want any of the puppies to pick their head up from eating. Does that make sense? Yes. So like if you just go right into like banging pots and pans, you can't take that back. So you just start really slow and then slowly increase. 
So uh, what at what point are we to the point where um, any e-collar work is or any con- collar conditioning is uh, built into your training? Not yet. So so I guess to, to like jump to that, I would say for that eight weeks to six months, the key things to remember, always think about socialization, people, places, and things. Don't rush your gunfire work. Do it right. Introduce them to water properly. Make sure that it's warm outside. Like you get your puppy in November and you live in New York, you're probably not getting that puppy into the water until April. So I do kind of being from New York, I do try and like schedule my puppy pickups in March so that by the time you know, they're maybe 10, 12, 13 weeks old. It's April and the weather's warm. You know, Elliot, you're perfect timing. Midsummer, it's going to be beautiful out. You're going to immediately be able to jump into all this cool stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so puppy should be swimming and loving swimming. Should be retrieving fun bumpers, a couple retrieves. Never let them get bored. Always leave them wanting more. Um, start increasing the distance. Don't always just throw from your hip. Have someone go out and help you and start increasing the distance. Um, One thing before jumping to e-collar work, I get a lot of questions about marking. And a mark is when the dog sees a bird go down or a bumper go down and you send them and they go and get it. That's a mark. Well, what a lot of people will say is my dog at 40 yards hits this invisible wall and they won't hunt past it. And I say to them, basically the answer is how far can you throw a bumper 30 to 40 yards so if their entire existence they've only seen marks from your hip and you can only throw it that far then how do they know when a bird actually falls at 80 yards to now double it not how how they can't It, it they physically will break down and just i've gone too far i know it's here i know it's here and they won't ever make it far enough So it's really important to have a helper or, you know, invest in some training equipment that can help you do this with your dog and get those bumpers out to about a hundred yards. Cause that's what a crippled duck really would, would fall at. I mean, if your dog is confidently in crushing hundred yard marks, you got a stud of a gun dog. Okay. Um, So they don't need to be doing two, 300 yard marks. Like we like to do with the hunt tests and field trials. But if your dog can't do a hundred yard mark, you know, I think you need to be, you need to up the ante and expect your dog to do a little more because they can. Um, so there's that. So in that first six months, you're, you're increasing the distance on marks, confidence on marks, different environments. So like cornfields, um, tall grass, short grass different sets of cover so maybe short grass that leads into a cornfield or a cornfield that goes into a grass field swamps um get them in and out of your duck boat just things like that you're you're gaining your life experience what are they going to see during that hunt and teach it to them i like teaching the place command at this age my little dudes are doing place so they're getting on to something that will soon when they're bigger will become a dog stand or a Momarsh Invisalab. Um, right now, it's just like a little raised up dog bed. But I'm teaching them to get onto it. Good dog treat. 
they don't have to stay on it yet, but they'll, they will. <clears throat> so, um, those are the main things, uh, that I like to do. And then at six months for me, formal obedience starts. So that's what Jordan was just talking about. E-collar conditioning and like starting to actually expect more out of your dog. Before we move on to that phase, like, can I ask you a couple questions about the, um, up to six months? Um, wow. so there's my dog barking right there. Um, so if I, let's say I'm out on a hunt and my daughter says to my wife, Oh, I want to take out and just throw the ball, um, for the dog. Can a dog recognize the difference? Obviously my daughter runs out there. She's not going to do it exactly how I would at four months. Can the dog learn the difference between, okay, when I'm with my master, this is what I do. But yet the little kids are still, or the kids are still able to kind of play and throw with them in a play type of setting. Is that okay or off limits? No, it's a great question. I would say for the, your, uh, I hate telling people this because I'm telling your kids not to have fun with their dog. So I don't necessarily think it's oh, um, reasonable to ask this of you and your family, but I think for the time being, right, zero to six months while you're developing this dog, you're trying to develop good habits mm -hmm. and creating black and white. This is okay. This is not okay. And I think at too young of an age, they may not be able to distinguish this is okay with her, the five, you know, fifth grader. This is not okay with dad. Um, so I do think in the grand scheme of things, you're not going to ruin a dog, but if you're trying to train a, a high level, um, consistent gun dog where, you know, a couple of retrieves, he does great. A couple of them, he's a dink about it and doesn't come back or, you know, plays tug of war, a, a couple big no-nos speaking of tug of war. I don't throw dog sticks because the last thing you want them doing is hunting their butts off in the marsh, can't find the duck. And they're like, man, you know what? He always throws me sticks. I'll just grab this thing and, and he'll be happy. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So you, you want them to, you know, just hone in on that duck and, and only bring that back. Um, I don't play tug of war. Incorporate the kids into the training as throwing the dummies. Hundred percent. You know, so that so that could be the time in which they get to spend that time. Hundred percent. I have free, kids free come all the time. Yep, and they can say the dog's name, and the dog goes on their name. Like, yeah, I think all that is phenomenal. But I think going out with a tennis ball and playing fetch for twenty minutes, you're going to create some bad habits or keep away or, you know whatever the case may be that, you know, you're going to end up having to correct the dog for, and really the dog's thinking huh, 20 minutes ago, it was okay. Um, that's another little thing that I'll, I'll add to that comment or question that you had is when I got my first gun dog, this was nine and a half years ago. My dad just had retired from the police department and I was still living at home. I was 22 or three or whatever. And dad was home. So he would take old Buck on hikes and take him and do all these things. And I get home and try and do a little retriever training, you know, my 10 minute session with him. And he was exhausted, could care less. And I was like, damn, what the heck is wrong with this dog? And then the next day he would be lights out. And after like two weeks of this, like on again, off again, dog, I was like, dad, I, I can't figure this out. He's so good. And then he's so lazy. 
He's like, oh, he should be. I took him for a two-hour hike today. And I'm like, well, there you go, right? He was he legit for a puppy was physically exhausted. And as much as he liked to do the job, he, he was just beat. So you want to kind of limit that free time, play time, if you're going to do some work. So maybe don't go on that hour-long hike or half-hour hike through the woods and then expect it to do retriever training for the last 10 minutes. Maybe start your hike with five minutes of quote-unquote training and then take your hike. Does that make sense? Yep. Cool. Is that a- what else you got for me? Yeah, one, one more, one more quick one. Um, so yeah. around this time where the dog's about four months, um, teal season is going to be starting up and, and we go out for weekend um, camping, teal hunts, basically. And, and in that setting, the dog could come with you and just stay in the kennel when you're out on the hunts. And then you come back and the dog's there and then you do some work with the dog. And that, that wouldn't be any kind of issue as long as the temperature, I just have to be careful of the temperature. Um in the kennel if the temperature got too cold but other than that that would be a good socializ- socialization weekend for the dog to be there right yeah no doubt um i think that's really great i mean he's gonna be around a lot of people you're gonna hopefully knock a teal down or two and you can use that as a little retrieving you know playtime thing i have again you'd be surprised at all the pictures that get sent to me and they'll have brand new puppies you know three, four months old, literally in the duck blind, not knowing what's going on. They have no idea what they're doing there, but there's guns going off and that's not a place for a young dog. I mean, there's no reason for a puppy to be in that situation, but I think uh, a guy's weekend out to teal, you know, teal camp and have them like in the crate when you're out hunting and then bring them out and, throw a few of the teal for them and let them sniff around and play and eat a couple feathers and just have the time of their life is phenomenal. Okay. Awesome. So right here, we're going into the formal training. This is when kind of the rubber meets the road, all the stuff you've been building up to. So I guess, uh, take us through that. Sure. Um, so, not to ask too much of you, you know, that's, there's a lot to go into that. <laughs> no, no, you're, you're good. I'm just trying to think like we, we, I, I don't want to miss anything in that puppy development because those first eight weeks to six months is so much. I think if anyone can take away from this first 45 minutes or so, it's like that amount of time is all about creating positive environments, build drive, don't bite off more than you and the puppy can chew. It all should be fun and good. Um, at six months old, they've got adult puppy teeth. Their attention span is a little bit longer. So where that zero to six month, I might be doing two or three sessions a day that are five minutes, possibly more, but not much more. So I'm using treats for sit, um, Treats for here, treats for going potty outside, treats for going in their kennel, their crate, um, just developing good habits. And and then at six months, now their five-minute attention span can be more like 10 or 15. And you can go from two to three retrieves a day to like eight or 10, right? They just can handle more. You 
done your job to develop this young dog and they've got the gusto to do it. Still, I'm at that age, I'm still watching to see, all right, are they about to quit on me? Are they about to get bored? I better end it and end on a high note. Always want to end on a high note. Um, so but at that point, go is ahead. Is on a high note usually just like, uh, you know, you're uh, doing a, a fun bumper um, type deal? or Sure, unless you're doing retrieving and that fun bumper is going to be that last retrieve where they go and lay in the shade. So I might just tease them with it put it in my back pocket and then just love on them and play with them in rough house for a second and just let them run free for a minute and just like, ah, blow off that steam. Um, that would be how I, like ending on a high note is a dog bouncing around, happy, go lucky, thrilled that they just did a good job, whether they did a good job or not. That's how you want to end it to the best of your ability. So, so kind of while we're on this topic as well, um, and this could probably be applicable to, you know, puppies, um, in that six month, uh, and on stage to kind of my dog. Um, so every day I come home from lunch or come home, uh, at my lunch break, my lunch break, 30 minutes, my drive's five minutes. So, you know, I'm in a little bit of a hurry to, you know, eat my lunch as fast as I can and get out there for, you know, 10 minutes and then get right back to work. Um, but generally how much time do you kind of let your dogs run about? Like when you first let them out, um, and then go, to kind of throw in the bumpers and that kind of deal? Uh, definitely once they pee. Like if you're trying to get a poop and pee out of him, you know, before you go back to work, like let him pee. Let I mean, he's probably going to do that as soon as you get home and let him out. And then I'd probably get into working. You know, if you've got legit 10 minutes on your lunch, I would work on things like place and throwing marks off of a place board. You know, maybe you keep half a dozen decoys in your backyard and he's got to run through the decoys. Um, uh, you know, if you're at that stage and you do force fetch, that's five or 10 minutes right there. You don't do much longer than that. So boom, lunchtime, force fetch, um, collar conditioning. If I'm forcing a dog to hear, you know, you you can do a lot in 10 minutes with a dog and you don't have to go overboard or throw 50 retrieves or, you know, sometimes just throwing from your hip is actually the wrong thing you should be doing. You know, there's so much more to, than being to a gun dog than just going up and picking up a bumper and bringing it back. You know, maybe it's getting him to load in and out of your boat that's parked in your backyard or, you know, under a shed or something like that. Just load up, buddy. Good. Um, or maybe when you're mowing your lawn, he sits on place in the shade on your, you know, dog stand and you mow your backyard for 40 minutes while he sits his butt down and doesn't move. This is, and uh, again, I'm not expecting a four month old to do this, but I'm expecting my year and a half old dog or, or a year old dog to do that for sure. I've built up to it. That makes sense. Yeah, that makes sense. So for your for your 20 minute at home session, you know, you could be doing a lot of different things to change it up and hone his skills for duck season. Awesome. All right, so let's uh hop back into that uh kind of formal training where we're at. Um sure. <laughs> I'm trying to remember the exact what we were talking about no, right you're there. Oh, good. Yeah, so so that formal obedience and and force fetch and collar conditioning that generally 
let's say I get dogs at six months old. That's when they normally come to my you know, facility. That first two to three weeks, I'm not doing those things. I'm building rapport. I'm building drive. I'm doing all the things that you, you know, I just told everybody to do because they might not have had that in the beginning. So I've got to build all that in a dog. But if I've got like these little puppies, pretty much as soon as they hit six months old, they're going to have the right things in place to where I can start making them heal, teaching them heal, you know, not just making them. I don't mean making like forcing, but you know, heal work, sit and sit doesn't mean sit for two <laughs> seconds anymore. Sit means sit for 20 seconds, sit for 40 seconds, sit for a minute. Good dog. Um, um, I, I use an e-collar. I'm a huge proponent. If you do it right and you're responsible about it, it's the best training tool ever because dogs understand it. It's black and white. This is okay. This is not okay. This is how I turn this pressure off. Um, and I teach it. So I teach the here command right now with a puppy using treats. When he comes, he gets a treat. Um, when he's a little bit older, like, well, right now, really, like I'll have someone hold the puppy, I'll run away from him 20 yards, kneel down, turn around and face him, tell him here, he comes to me, he gets a treat. Um, at six months old is when I'll start collar conditioning. So I'll have that same helper hold the dog. I've got my 25 foot check cord and he's holding them. I got the other end and I'm going to tug him and I'm going to tell him here and I'm going to low level stimulation, Nick, 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 until he gets to me good dog. So he's getting pressure. It's uncomfortable until he gets to me, that pressure's turned off and I love on him. Like he just won the world series. Then you take him back to your helper. You walk back to the end of your rope here. Nick, 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 Nick. Dog gets to you. Good dog. Praise him. Like he won the world series. You do that. I do that like 10 times, right? And Nick, as he's coming towards you. Yes, sir. Yep. So what he's learning is it's all uncomfortable until he gets to you. Okay. He's turning that pressure off by complying and getting to you quickly. So he's learning to control it himself. Basically. Yep. He's learned how to turn it off, get to you quickly. Um, and this is like, I'll scale that pressure up and back down and up and back down. And I don't mean up to the highest your e-collar goes. I just mean like, you know, from they can barely feel it. There's just something there to like, man, this is kind of uncomfortable to like, nah, this isn't so bad, but I'm still doing it. So like you, you just teach them to understand pressure and be comfortable and not freak out. And it's okay to get stimulated. You just have to comply. And by complying is here. And the kicker for us trainers is let's say the dog gets squirrely and is just like, doesn't know what to do can't figure it out. If I turn that pressure off, he's going to learn that getting squirrely turns the pressure off. So you have to stay on the pressure and like reel him in like a fish and get him to come to you and like do whatever it is you can to get that dog to you and then turn the pressure off and praise. So and the check like, cord is you have to have the check cord. 100% have to have the check cord on. Like, that's a no, uh, that, that not option. Check cord on during this training session. And you do this for me, I, I, maybe because I've done it so much, 
this is like a five to eight session. So like, uh, sorry, my little buddy, baby <laughs> D just got in the room. How you doing, bud? <laughs> Good. Um, so the, it, it's like eight or eight sessions, right? So 10 reps per session over a week. And all you're doing is uncomfortable, comfortable, and praise. So if they don't have that check cord on, then you have no way of getting them to you to turn that pressure off. Okay. So that's a big one. So can you, uh, and that's like, can you run through this type of drill um, with an older dog? Let's say like my dog that's three years old. Heck yeah, man. Never to, uh, yeah, if he's dodgy on coming when called or doesn't fully understand the e-collar, this is how I collar condition. This is step one of collar conditioning. So I don't nick the dog until this is like the, the first way they figure it out. Okay. So this is how I start e-collar conditioning. The first step is for me is the hear command. So again, maybe eight to 10 sessions maybe eight to 10 days, five minute sessions. When I'm doing pressure situations where it's uncomfortable, comfortable and praise using the e-collar, I'm not doing a half an hour. This is quick, you know, quick sessions. You don't want to stress a dog out. It shouldn't be painful. It shouldn't be miserable. It's all cool. Um, after they understand here with the e-collar on the check cord, then I'm going to test my work in maybe a fenced in yard maybe it's a baseball field that's that's fenced in um somewhere where they can't really get away but you've got the e-collar on you got some control situation so you're gonna kick them loose you're having a good time dogs running around playing all right buddy here he comes perfect good dog praise him no pressure now he's a little bit more distracted Hey, all right, buddy, here. And he looks at you and says, meh, this is more fun. I'm going to give him a little nick, 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 like just a couple bumps here. Good dog. As soon as he starts coming, I'm going to turn the pressure off. If he, I call it, there's, there's a couple things I tell my clients, like the, oh, squirrel, right? Where he's like, he's coming, he's coming, he's coming, squirrel. And he just banks off and runs where he feels like. No here with some nicks. And then as soon as he changes course and comes to you, you can back off the pressure, tell him good dog, and he comes to you. Then you got the drive-by where he's hauling ass and he's doing phenomenal and he's coming right to you. And then there he goes. No here, nick, nick, nick. Okay? Here means right to me. They don't have to heal and sit yet, but they cannot leave me. They have to be like right at me so that I can pet them. I can put a leash on them. I just saved their life from running across the road. You kind of get me where if they do like the drive-by or the squirrel and a car's coming, you don't have that control here means right here and don't leave until I tell you it's okay. Yep. Once I've, once I've kind of got that nailed down, that's another maybe like five sessions and those five sessions are five, 10, 20 minutes. That can kind of be maybe your hike for the day where you're practicing the here command with more distractions and you've got the collar and it's reminding them it's that invisible leash tugging them. Once we're cool with that, I'll do heel work. Now I've already done heel work with a leash. So they're 
going back and forth doing figure eights and they're healing nicely with leash corrections. Now I'm going to take those leash corrections with the leash still on, but I'm going to, instead of popping the lead, I'm going to give a neck low level, right? I use the least amount of pressure to get the desired response. So if your dog can barely feel a two or a 20 or whatever your collar is, that and, and that gets them to respond, that's the least amount needed. The higher the energy, the higher the distractions, all that stuff, the more you're going to need to get the desired response. But we want to use the least amount needed to get them to comply. So with, and then pray. So with this uh, kind of system of pressure and the e-collar, um, you talked about nicking them as they come back. Um, so one thing I've kind of noticed with my dog, he is much quicker to get the bumper than he is to come back. Um, and I haven't really done a lot of this e-color conditioning stuff with him, but would you use something like that to, I guess, um, make enforce the here when they, well, get the I mean, he comes back, but it's more of like a slow trot where it's like, uh, he's like, you know, explodes towards the bumper, grabs it. And then, you know, at the beginning he's running back kind of fast, but then, you know, I guess it kind of goes back to, you want to end them before they get the, get bored. But is there, you know, using that, um, conditioning, can that speed, speed up the return, I guess. Gotcha. Um, all right. This, that's a really good question and the answers, every dog's different. So on a soft dog, if I were to bump them on the e-collar, even on a low level, like let's say they do a, and they aren't force fetched yet. They're still like, they haven't been through force fetch. And I were to bump them on the e-collar on a low level, that might get them to spit the bumper out and haul ass to you. Well, that's not good. Cause now I don't have the tools in the tool belt to get them to go get that bumper again or to reinforce you should have held that bumper the whole time. Some dogs who are a little bit tougher and have a little more grit, or maybe like your dog, he's a little more seasoned and veteran. Um, he probably, I would guess, could handle a little level, or excuse me, a little low level nick, like, hey buddy, quit screwing around, get in here. And it won't make him spit the bumper and have like a weird reaction, right? Um, but, I'm a huge proponent of force fetch. Force fetch teaches the dog how to learn. It's kind of like this here command. They're learning how to turn pressure off. They're learning compliance quickly equals praise and love and good things. Um, Non-compliance equals some sort of uncomfort. And then they comply and then it's all good again. So, Force fetch would fix that problem of not being able to nick the dog on here when they've got the bumper. So if I've, again, maybe I screwed that up, but if you haven't done force fetch and you nick your dog on their way back with the bumper, you could have negative effects. They don't maybe understand why that happened and they might spit the bumper and now you're up the creek without a paddle. If you've done force fetch, then definitely like my dogs, they're all now through force fetch. Like this whole crew of dogs is all through force fetch. You can get on them a little bit for dilly dallying out there in the field and they'll still hold on to the bumper and understand, Oh, he means to hustle up and get back. So 
it's more of a finesse game than a hard, true answer. Does that make sense? Yeah, it definitely makes sense. I just want to, you know, to all the folks listening, this is some great information, um, especially, you know, everybody's got a dog. And um, for me, I'm just like, man, there's so much information. I'm going to have to listen to this podcast more than once to <laughs> try to retain it all. Yeah, dude. It's so hard. Like, we're trying to rock an entire year of dog training in an hour and 20 minutes. You know what yep. I mean? So there's so many little nuances that we're not covering. Um, and, and then sometimes we're getting deep into the weeds and really granular where, you know, someone might not want to use a collar or might not want to force fetch. And so, you know, I think, you know, eh, it's your podcast. Why don't you take it where like keep ripping off questions and I'll keep answering. But I, I think to end it, I want to just like, before someone hunts their dog, I have a couple of like definitely do's, definitely don'ts that are super important. Yeah. And I think, you know, that's a definitely a good place to go. Um, normally we keep these podcasts about an hour, but there's just so much information um, that we probably, me and Elliot probably underestimated, you know, <laughs> how long it would take to take, you know, talk about the information from taking your puppy all the way to its first hunt. So um, we'll definitely, you know, go with kind of, you know, what you're stating there, those few do's and don'ts before that. But uh, um, we're definitely at the schedule on to get some more of this information and, uh, <laughs> you know, um, pick, pick your, Dude, I, I love being a part awesome. of it. Yeah. I love being a part of your podcast. So I'm, I'm happy to be a part as much as, or as little as you guys want, but you know, to, to maybe to start to maybe wrap this up, I would encourage everybody to take a look at how they duck hunt and train for those experiences. So if you hunt mainly field geese and you hunt out of a layout blind, and your dog's going to be hunting out of a layout blind. September 1st, you know, early goose season should not be the first time they work out of a layout blind or see goose decoys or hear a goose call. Um, <laughs> opening day of duck season is not the first time they hear a gunshot. It's not the first time they put a duck in their mouth. Um, you know, take them to when they're a little bit older, like we talked about getting them to swim and stuff and do like a shallow water entry. That's how you start. But let's say you hunt a river and you've got a kind of a good stream, you know, flowing or, you know, or current flowing, right? You want to get them used to that. So when they've got some confidence and they're older, maybe that six months old, you take them to that river and throw bumpers out and they've got to track down the current and learn how to track the bird in the current and then fight the current on the way back. Um, get them on and off dog stands confidently in and out of duck boats and run that duck boat. You know, don't just get them in and out of it. And then he's never actually had it in water where it wiggles and wobbles and you're firing up a motor and your dog should be well-versed in anything you throw at him at his first hunting season to the best of your ability. And if he's not, it's your job as a handler and trainer and owner to make it a positive experience, uphold his obedience and control and have him be or her be successful. So if it just sucks for them, then that's not good because then they're going to associate duck hunting with this sucks. So it should be positive. Um, I'm a, I, on my dog's first few hunts, I don't take a gun. 
I leave my gun behind and I work the dog. I've got 12 years to hunt with this dog. The first few hunts, I'd rather take a buddy or two who are pretty good shots and we actually decoy birds where they're going to fall. You know, we're not sky busting. We're, we're putting a few birds down that the dog can see, mark, and retrieve. I might have a couple rocks in my pocket to help that dog out. I might, you know, have to get out of the blind and go help the dog find it because they just don't get it yet. You might have trained all year long. Shoot, I might have trained your dog, right? Like you might have sent your dog to a pro and they were there for four months. And at the end of that four month program, that dog looks lights out. Well, guess what? It still isn't real hunting. So you got to be patient. You got to teach. And those first few hunts are all a learning experience, putting all those pieces of the puzzle together that you have taught that dog all year long that this is why we do it. This is, this is the real deal, man. And, you know, things like looking up at the sky and watching ducks work, that'll come. They haven't got it yet, but that'll come. Um, that That's huge. Um, so... I'm trying to think what else, boys, what else you got for me? That, that's pretty much it. You know, just, and don't hunt a dog too young. I mean, my first dog buck was seven months old when I took him on his first hunt. And even though if I had to go back and tell, you know, 22 year old Bob what to do, I still think I would hunt him at seven months old. Cause he's the only dog I had. I loved him to death. We did a ton of work to prepare him. And it was a positive experience. He had fun. Um, now I don't think I'm going to hunt my little puppy, you know, unless it's a really super controlled environment this fall, because I've got other dogs and I can develop him for a year and a half and give him a ton of skill set That's going to make his first hunt ultra successful versus maybe a cluster. So you know, I'm different than everybody else because I've got a bunch of dogs that I can kind of do that with, but don't throw your five month old puppy to the wolves in a duck blind with six guns going off. Like it's the civil war, you know, take one or two people out and say like, Hey, we're not unloading. We're not, you know, going crazy. Shoot them in the decoys hit one dude, swat them on the water. I don't care. That dog just needs to have experience picking up birds on the duck hunt. Is that that cool? Awesome. Yeah, I'm excited about that with my ducks. I'm getting the, the, the pup will be about eight weeks early July, and I'm not going to take her out at all 2019 season. But I may, after the season ends, um, take her out, and, and when there's ducks going back north, and just decoy ducks and throw throw dummies and i like kind of extend my season that way but i'm really glad that that uh to be getting the dog at this time to take it nice and slow don't rush just really have a good year can't think how old that dog would be by 2020 september yeah it'll be like 13 14 months old and i'm really excited to do it that way yeah that's a really good attitude to have you're not rushing it that dog is going to be a well-oiled machine. You're going to have a lot of life experience under that young dog's belt before you take it out. But still, I would encourage you three hunts, no matter how good the dog is. It's just 
it'll teach you more about that dog and give you and your dog um, a leg up instead of, you know, and I'm, I'm a culprit of this too. Like we all like to shoot birds, but you're going to get to shoot a lot more birds over this dog. You know, if you do it right this way, instead of worrying about breaking and worrying about, you know, being steady and whatever their obedience and staying on the place board and blah, blah, blah. So that's exciting. So do you know what color and sex you're getting? It's a black female. I'm really, I really love the yellows, but I'm a, I've never had a black. Um, well, I had a mixed golden retriever black lab, my first one, but I love the yellow, but all they've got is black coming out of this litter. And um, so I'm going black and I'm, I'm happy with it. I'm happy with well, it. You know what they say, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> well Elliot's first choice actually was silver but they were just plum out so <laughs> uh, that's, awesome. that's awesome yeah no my dog's first hunt will be probably 2020 opening day teal season which i'm a i'm gonna have to not have the gun because teal hunting in kansas it's like i mean you know 25 30 minutes and you've got limits it's just bam, right. bam, bam, ducks flying everywhere, landing everywhere. So certainly yep. if that's the first dog's first hunt, I'm not going to be able to be shooting. Maybe after everyone else limits or something. That's uh, right. Yeah. I don't know, but that's a hectic environment for to be a dog's first first hunt. No doubt. You know what I'll also add, because we're I'm in the South right now, dove hunting a young dog is extremely difficult um, their, for their first hunt. And then even like, I remember doing my first dove hunt. I had my old dog, Buck, who was like six, well-seasoned gun dog. And the first like two or three dove hunts, he had no clue what was going on. Mm-hmm. We're in a hundred acre field with 20 other hunters all around hearing gunshots everywhere. And he's marking birds at 200 yards away. That's just, you know, mayhem. And here I am trying to plink my doves that are right above us dove hunting is very challenging for a young dog and a i probably wouldn't have a dove hunt be my dog's first hunt ever and b i would understand that once my dog is kind of a seasoned level little hunting dog dove hunting is still a different animal and be patient make them be steady keep them cool keep them in the shade and uh it's just not that easy on a dog until they really get the hang of it is part of it the feathery nature of the doves and how the feathers get all in their mouths is that a big issue uh that's one of them um that's definitely one of them i've got places where you know i could go out with just me and one guy and shoot two or three doves um as the dog's first hunt and have it be slow and calm, but I always worry about all those feathers and the dog hating that. Yeah, so they might not hate it. I, I mean, I've had dogs not like it. I've had dogs eat every single dove, never eat a bird or chew a bird before in their life, but those things are like little morsels. They eat them and swallow them in one bite. <laughs> um, you know, so like there's a lot of little things that can happen, but the I guess my main thing is, if it's like one or two guys in a field and the dog can see the bird and swing with the bird falling and things like that, that's okay. Some of these like huge group hunts where there's gunfire everywhere and the dog doesn't know which end is up. 
it's hard for them to mark and to do their job and, and to keep kind of a level head. But if like you and two other guys go out and sit by a hay bale and plink a couple as they come by, I think that's probably pretty good training. Yeah. And we normally um, hunt ponds, um, which is a nice setting for it too. Yeah. Yeah. I think you'd probably be okay. Just make, you know, my thing is just use your head. If the dog's struggling, help them. If the dog's crushing it, awesome. Mm-hmm. You know, if there's nothing to get upset about, there's nothing to uh, over expect out of them. Make it positive, make it fun. And honest to God, this is why I started my company, The Unspoken Bond. You're about to embark on a journey with a new puppy that you're going to have so many memories with your little girl. She's going to grow up with this dog and you're going to get her into the outdoors and your boys who are going into college are going to come home and go hunting with you. And like, this is a very special time. There's no better time to get a dog, I guess. And, you know, just make it positive. Enjoy every minute of the training and the process and you'll have a blast. I'm happy for you. Yeah, it's a heartbreaking time, too, because my yellow Izzy, she's turning 12 in August, tore ACL last year. She's got arthritis in her right shoulder and limping around. So seeing her career come to an end, oh, man, it's excruciating. Yeah, my old dog, Buck, is nine and a half. And, yeah, he's got – at nine and a half, he acts like he's 12 or 13. He's arthritic. Um He's hurting, you know, and he's been hunted hard, trained hard, you know, had a great life, but he's sore and, you know, it's just, it's tough to see. It is. All right. Well, once again, Bob, we got to thank you for coming on a wealth of knowledge and we could keep going on probably for another hour, but, uh, (laughs) um, definitely a perfect time to wrap it up and we'll have to schedule you on to have a, you know, kind of continuation talking about dogs once you get them out hunting and that kind of stuff. That sounds awesome. Yeah. I would love to come back on guys. I always enjoy chatting with you and talking gun dogs. Um, thank you for having me. This is good. Good night. Awesome. And can you, uh, let people know where to find you? And before that kind of just to plug it for you, um, one of my favorite podcasts right now is the Lone Duck Podcast, um, all about hunting dogs, all about, you know, the majority is duck dogs. Um, and if you're a, a dog person at all, have a hunting dog, that kind of deal, um, you know, that's the podcast to listen to. So go ahead and let people know where they can find you. Dude, I appreciate that very much. Thank you. And I'm glad you enjoy it. It's It's been maybe eight months in the since we started and we're really enjoying it. And I enjoy doing this with you guys. Like, talking about dogs doesn't get old. So, uh, I'm glad you enjoy it. So if people want to listen to our podcast, you can search it on iTunes, Google play pretty much anywhere. I think podcasts are listed. Uh, it's called lone ducks, gun dog chronicles. And if you want to find me, Instagram's probably the best way. Uh, that's where I'm most active and that's at lone duck. Um, I am almost if not 100% answering everybody's questions that come in um, you get me um, so if you liked listening to our talk tonight and it spurred a question you had about your gun dog or or finding a puppy or anything 
I'm always here to help. This is what I love to do. And, you know, so I'm here to help you. And, you know, Elliot Jordan, I can't thank you enough for inviting me to be back on the podcast and uh, hope to do it again soon. Awesome. All right, folks, that's all we got for tonight. Make sure to head over to iTunes. If you guys enjoyed this podcast, give us a five-star rating. We really appreciate it. Um, I'm Jordan from the Duck Gun from Duck Gun Chronicles, Elliot from Freelance Duck Hunting, and Bob Owens from Lone Duck, and we'll see you guys next time. Good stuff. Nice. Yeah, that was really, 